Welcome back to Parkside Greens Bible Study. Pastor Steve here again. I was at a funeral earlier today. Uh, excited to study through 1 Kings chapter 2 with you. Uh, you'll remember last week we saw the question of succession answered definitively, right? Solomon, not Adonijah, would follow his father David as king. And this week, what we're going to see is a kingdom in transition from father to son, a kingdom in transition from father to son. And I think we're all keenly aware that political transitions are not always smooth. <laughs> transitions can be messy, right? Like when we're counting electoral college votes and it gets interrupted by a storming of the Capitol, or when a president is impeached a week before his term expires. Messy. <laughs> well, the same was true in the ancient world when it was common for kings to consolidate their power by sort of vanquishing their opponents, which is something like what we'll see in 1 Kings chapter 2 during a kingdom in transition. Now, personally, uh, I was helped by organizing the chapter under three headings that might assist you if you're taking notes. First, we'll look at parting pronouncements and payback plans. That's in verses 1 to 9. Secondly, we'll take a look at contrasting characters and divergent deaths in verses 10 to 25. And third and lastly, we'll look at expulsion, execution, and eradication of enemies in verses 26 to 46. So, we begin with parting pronouncements and payback plans in verses 1 to 9. David seemed to realize that his time to die was drawing near. Right? He, he was about to go the way of all the earth, as the Lord said in Genesis 3.19, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So David offered a few parting pronouncements to his son Solomon. He commanded him, much as the Lord had commanded Joshua, you remember at the beginning of that book, he commands his son to be strong and show himself to be a man. And the way Solomon was to show himself a strong man is by keeping the Lord's charge, walking in God's ways, keeping God's statutes, God's commandments, God's rules, and God's testimonies. If Solomon would obey what was written in the law of Moses, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, he would prosper in all that he did, wherever he turned, right? The Lord would establish his word spoken to David, which was this, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Full-hearted, full-souled obedience will be accompanied by great blessing. It makes me think what my parting words might be to my children on my deathbed, if I had the opportunity. I would hope that besides telling them that I love them, I would also call them to fully, fully follow the Lord and all of his ways, as David does here, right? When our time is short, we want to communicate what matters most. And what mattered most to David was that his son Solomon would walk in the ways of the Lord and keep his statutes and commandments and rules and testimonies. They're all right there for Solomon in the law of Moses, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, and they are all right here for us and our kids today in the Bible. 
Well, in addition to his parting pronouncements, David also communicates payback plans to Solomon. Joab, David said, was to be put to death because he wrongly took the lives of Abner and Amasa during times of peace. Likewise, Shimei was to be put to death because he cursed David with a grievous curse when David was fleeing from his son Absalom and heading out to Mahanaim. If you want to read the background on that, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16. In both cases, David told Solomon to act according to his wisdom, but to make sure that these two guilty men, they were guilty, note, did not enjoy peaceful deaths. Essentially, David said, son, (laughs) you're a wise man. I'm sure you'll figure out what to do with these two. And on the positive side, David told Solomon to deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, allowing them to eat at at Solomon's own table because Barzillai had loyally provided food for David when he was at Mahanaim again earlier fleeing from Absalom. So David had positive payback plans as well as negative ones. Kindnesses were to be rewarded and wrongs were to be punished. And that takes us from parting pronouncements and payback plans to contrasting characters and divergent deaths in verses 10 to 25. On the one hand, we have David, who reigned over Israel for a total of about 40 years. Now, he was not perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. Like all people, he sinned, but when David sinned, He repented, he turned, and sought God's forgiveness. And I love what Paul says about David in Acts 13, verse 36. Quote, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. By God's grace, David fulfilled God's intentions for him in his time and place. And then David was buried in the city that bore his very name. Don't you aspire to that same goal for your life, right? To serve the purpose of God in our generation and then die and pass into the immediate presence of the Lord forever. David was not perfect, but for the most part, he was faithful to God in his time. May the same be true of you and of me, that we, God, would work his purposes for us in our generation. But on the other hand, in this same section, we see a contrasting character in David's son, Adonijah. And you'll recall that Solomon had spared Adonijah and sent him to his house to show himself to be a worthy man. But Adonijah did not leave well enough alone. Instead, he asserted that the kingdom was his and All Israel fully expected him to reign, right? Adonijah's rehearsing his kind of shattered dreams to to Solomon's mom, Bathsheba. Now, he does recognize, at least verbally, Adonijah recognizes that the Lord had given the kingdom to Solomon. And so he says, I've lost the kingdom and all all I want now is just uh, David's old attendant and personal warmer, Abishag, to be my wife. That's not asking too much, is it, Bathsheba? I mean, they could be like the glamour couple, right? The the power Hollywood couple. Because remember, Abishag was very beautiful, chapter 1, verse 4, and Adonijah was very handsome, 
chapter 1, verse 6. So they could be like the Ryan and Blake, or Ryan and Eva, or Justin and Jessica, Tom and Giselle, Ashton and Mila of their day. I mean, you get the picture, right? But there may be something else at play here as well. See, having the wife or concubine of a reigning king symbolized a person's title to the throne. 2 Samuel 12, 8 tells us that after David became king, Saul's wives had been given to David. And 2 Samuel 16, verses 21 to 22, tells us that when Absalom was trying to usurp his father's throne, Absalom went up and into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel, out on the rooftop. And that's certainly the way Solomon interprets things when Bathsheba makes what she calls a small request on behalf of Adonijah. To ask for a bishag is tantamount to asking for the kingdom. Had his mother Bathsheba so soon forgotten that Adonijah was the older brother and he had already drummed up support from Abiathar and Joab? So yeah, Adonijah claimed that he came peacefully when Bathsheba asked, do you come in peace? Yes, peacefully. But he was cunningly approaching Solomon through his mother and it would not work. It wasn't going to happen. Solomon saw that this was no polite question or innocent request from a, a good sport who had just lost the race for king. Rather, it was a potential challenge to the throne and to the Lord's purposes. Remember, the Lord had been the one who had made Solomon king. So, Adonijah in this way had shown himself not to be a worthy man, but to be a wicked man. So, in accordance with the conditions that were set back in chapter 1, verse 52, he would die for his renewed attempt to usurp the authority of King Solomon. Remember, had been placed on the throne of David and established by the Lord, it says. Therefore, Solomon sent his military leader, Benaiah, to execute Adonijah, who died. Again, the contrasts are stark. David, right, was a man after God's own heart who waited on the Lord's timing and his purposes, whereas Adonijah was a man after his own heart in attempting to take over the throne and to undermine Solomon's authority. See, David served God's purposes and then died in honor, whereas Adonijah served his own purposes and died in shame. That brings us to our final section of expulsion, execution, and eradication of enemies in verses 26 to 46. With this renewed challenge to Solomon's kingship that Adonijah had stirred up, Solomon decides that now he needs to take action against Adonijah's supporters. And he starts out with Abiathar the priest. And, and in a sense, Solomon says, you deserve to die for your support of that usurper Adonijah, you know, you were at that private dinner party where he was claiming to be king, but Solomon spares Abiathar and just expels him to his state in Anathoth. Why? Why just expelling and not executing? Because Abiathar had carried the ark of the Lord before David and had shared in all of David's affliction. He had been there with David through the thick and thin. Also, note in verse 27 that by expelling Abiathar from the priesthood, Solomon, maybe even unknowingly, was fulfilling the Lord's prophecy way back in 1 Samuel 2 that the strength of Eli's descendants would be cut off. You see, Abiathar 
we know was a descendant of Eli, and it took many generations, but the word of the Lord, spoken way back in 1 Samuel 2, proved to be true, as it always does. Well, when Joab gets word that Adonijah has been slain and Abiathar has been expelled, he can see the writing on the wall for himself, and he flees to the tent of the Lord to hold on to the horns of the altar, just like Adonijah had earlier. Only this time, it doesn't work, as Solomon sends Benaiah into the tent to put Joab to death. Expelled Abiathar is then replaced by the faithful priest Zadok, and the slain military leader Joab is replaced by loyal Benaiah. And then lastly, Solomon deals with Shimei by confining him to a house there in Jerusalem, which is just a small, almost village-like size at this time, and mourning that if he left the city and crossed the brook Kidron, he would die. And Shimei agrees to the arrangement, and he complies by three years. He just stays there, kind of almost under surveillance there, uh, in house arrest or something, that they're in Jerusalem in his house. But then he breaks the terms by going over 20 miles to Gath to retrieve his servants. And that was virtually bringing a death sentence on himself. So when he comes back, he's caught by Solomon. Solomon rehearses how Shemi had violated the agreement and how he had also done much harm to David earlier by cursing him. And then he has Benaiah strike Shimei down. And that concludes then the eradication of Solomon's enemies, and as the last verse says, verse 46, the kingdom was established firmly in the hand of Solomon now. Okay, what are we to make of this chapter? <laughs> I mean, many have been troubled by it, right? Because it starts out with David giving Solomon spiritual advice on following the Lord and his ways, and then almost immediately adding what one commentator said seems like cold-blooded political counsel. But some commentators have spoken of Solomon's callous, systematic elimination of all threats. They've described Solomon as a man of ruthless action, pursuing power by all means at his disposal, right? almost like a Vito Corleone of the Godfather. Uh, but consider, I think, what God's Word actually says. It's so great that we're doing detailed Bible study. Let's dig in and see what it actually says. Let's take the case of Adonijah first. If Adonijah had just stayed in his house and not caused any trouble and shown himself to be a worthy man, truly acknowledging that God wanted Solomon as king, he would have lived. Look at chapter 1, verse 52 and 53. It was his wrongdoing that got him in trouble. Also, note that although Abiathar, in one sense, deserved death, the priest Solomon mercifully spared him. Right? We see that Solomon could be merciful as well as just. He stripped Abiathar of his office as priest, but he spared his life. Thirdly, let's take the case of Joab. If he had not been guilty of shedding blood without cause, he would have lived. Remember that it was without King David's knowledge that Joab on his own had gone and attacked and killed with the sword two men, two different occasions, both of whom were righteous and better than he was. So it was their blood, you see, that was coming back on his head. Also, note that Joab's death removed the blood guilt from the land. 
Check out Numbers 35-33 and Deuteronomy 19-13 for background on that. Take the case of Shimei. If he had upheld the agreement that he had with Solomon and had not left Jerusalem, he would have lived also. Shimei had sworn by the Lord, see that in verse 42, and then broke his oath to the Lord, see it in verse 43. So the Lord, see in verse 44, was bringing back the harm that Shimei did to David on his own head. Yes, Solomon's enemies had been expelled, executed, and eradicated, and in this way, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And that's how the second chapter ends. A kingdom in transition has now become a kingdom firmly established. But how does 1 Kings 2 relate to the stories of our lives? I want you to consider three possibilities. I know there are more that you'll discuss in your small groups. Number one, if you want to be a strong man or woman, chapter 2, verse 2, then walk in God's ways. Keep God's commandments. Right? Strength is not just physical, but as Paul says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you want to be strong in the Lord's eyes, a strong man or strong woman, then show it by your spiritual maturity, walking in God's ways, keeping his commandments. Secondly, I think we could all aspire, like David, to be a person after God's own heart who serves God's purposes in our own time and who, by God's grace, dies in honor. Right? May we serve God's purposes in our generation as he did and then die in Christ to spend eternity with the Lord. Thirdly, I think we can allow Solomon's mixture of mercy, patience, and justice to remind us of God's perfect mercy, patience, and justice. Right? Jesus shows us God's patience and mercy by offering sinners like us forgiveness and new life. And Jesus will return as the just judge of all people. So, let's call others to receive God's patient mercy now before facing his just judgment later. And let's strive in our own lives to reflect God's patience and mercy and justice to others. Let's close in prayer. Father, we praise you that you have been at work among your people from the time of Adam and Eve right up to our own time today. Lord, you have accomplished your purposes during David's and Solomon's generations, and you are accomplishing your purposes during our generation now. We thank you for revealing your ways to us so that we can walk in them, and for revealing your commandments to us so that we can keep them. Father, you know what's best for us, and there is such blessing in obeying you. And Lord, we pray that you, the God who is patient, merciful, and just, will receive the praise due to your name. Help us to cling to your patience and mercy and to rest in your justice. By the work of the Spirit, Lord, we pray that we could reflect your patience and mercy and justice to others 
in our lives in such a way that you get all the glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.